Choa, I don't have a question for you today because we are doing something a little difference. We are trying to meet the request of a few of our listeners who have wanted more of concrete instruction on how we do craft and draft. And, you know, we, we've been kind of beating around the bush for a little bit and we've been teasing the book coming out, but it's, it's time to give a little something to our audience, um, especially for those who've been listening to us kind of from the beginning. So what this is going to be, it's going to be part podcast so people can listen to this as the standard episode that it is. But it's also going to be a video because we're going to be presenting uh, some of uh, the 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 structures that we do craft and draft. We're going to talk through it a little bit, talk about some different ways that you and I have kind of approached it, how it's modified over time. You know, we'll probably meander a little bit as we usually do. But the goal of this <laughs> is that people will be able to walk away with some concrete visuals and thought processes for their own craft and draft journal so they can uh, use them in their classroom this year uh, and kind of be on the ground floor. But I want to tell people before we jump into this that this is this is a free presentation, but it is our intellectual property. So what we want to do is leave an option for you guys to donate to us, whether you're listening to this on free feeds on the podcast, or you're watching the video later. So you can donate through our cash app. I'll show that to you in just a minute um, and talk about it on the podcast, but you can donate whatever you want to, you know, if it's worth $5, $10, whatever, um, then that would, we would greatly appreciate it because that does help support what we're doing here. Um, And we didn't want to put this behind a paywall automatically because teachers are teachers. Like we don't have, we're already spending money on supplies and everything else that's going on. Like we're not millionaires. Um, but at the same time, this is something that takes time, uh, out of our lives to do. And it's something that is going to be a product later. So we wanted to make sure, um, to kind of respect the intellectual property of craft and draft. But before we get to, um, the presentation and kind of us talking through how to do craft and draft. I also want to tell people that this video, if you're watching this right now, is free on YouTube until August 31st. So really this first month of schools going back, we'll keep it free. Anyone can access it, which is why we want to do the cash app donation if you're there. However, after the 31st, um, this video is going to be taken down. Uh, but if you're listening to this on the podcast, you're like, well, what? I want to see the video. I want to see the presentation. Presentation, you can still access that if you contact if you contact us through craftanddraftworkshop.com. Um, we will allow you guys to purchase just to get this information a little bit later. We'll probably set it at twenty dollars to get the video and the presentation and all the other goodies that we're going to send uh, to make sure that you can put craft and draft implemented into your classroom. So whether you're finding this in August of 2021 or August of 2025, uh, you can have access to some degree. Once again, the video's up until August 31st, then it's going to be taken down, but you guys can still have access to it. Just contact us through the website and we'll make that happen. But that's enough of that intro and all of that stuff. Let's talk craft and draft. Let's podcast a little bit with a presentation going on. We've never done something like this. So if, right. you know, if, if it's us kind of <laughs> stumbling our way through this, you know, we've presented with each other several times, you know, we did it as coaches, um, quite a bit, but we've never done this. So I don't No, not, not like this at all. 
Yeah, and Ocho, you you present all the time though, so we like you're just like whatever. I'm just gonna, you know, you're just gonna be wonderful. You're just on your new, you're on your new Mac, looking great. So yes, because my other computer just died. So here we are, and you're looking really good on my green screen. I got a green, yeah, one of those green Macs because I like that color. All right, so I am going. Are. I'm going to share my screen, and hopefully this all works the way it's supposed to. Um, I might cut out some of my meandering as we're going through this, but can you see my screen on your end? I can. Wonderful. All right. So here, everyone, you should be able to see the Craft and Draft logo, of course, and then the wonderful uh, cash app option. So if you guys are wanting to donate to us and... Uh, be a part of it that way. You can with that craft and draft right there. Cash app um, would be wonderful. Thank you so much for your support if you do that. But all right, so let's jump into craft and draft. If people are new to this, how would you describe craft and draft? Just our journal system. If they never heard about it before, or maybe they heard it in one of our other episodes and didn't dive too much into it, or maybe they've forgotten. How would you describe it, Miss Ochoa? Well, I would describe it as a system uh, that you put in place in your classroom. That's It's a journal system that allows the students to record uh, what they've learned about the craft of writing and reading and another place where they can actually uh, write, like a writer's notebook. So it's kind of a combination that weaves the two together. So what it does, it really helps the uh, – I think it helps the teacher. It helps me anyway when, when I'm trying to uh, – blend the two and show the students that uh, when you read more, you write more. When you write more, you become a better reader. And so uh, really this process is reciprocal. So you need both. And I think uh, when we were planning this uh, and working it out, that's what we were trying to do was trying to figure out a system that would allow us to track our students so that we can monitor their growth. Uh, At the same time, offer something to our teachers that we were working with, uh, you know, offer them a way of, of um, I guess, watching the kids grow, giving them opportunities to record their thoughts and uh, learn all about crafting and all about drafting. That's right. All right. So let's kind of get to some of the nuts and bolts of this craft and draft a systematic support for reading and writing workshop i think it's important to talk you know this kind of summarizes what you said right like it's the Mm -hmm. this is meant to be a support the whole reason we designed this was to kind of help guide teachers uh in workshop help show the evidence of learning help track the evidence of learning because workshop there's so much choice and freedom involved um that that's that's a difficult piece to workshop is keeping it all uh in one place to where it's not keep it all in one place in a way that's not restrictive. And that's kind of, that's the whole goal with this. So if this ever feels restrictive, right. then, then you're, you're clamping down too hard. So as we go through this, um, you know, it can be, it can be played with a little bit. Mm-hmm. All righty. So this first page, I'm gonna let you do this one. Uh, cause you, Oh, did I, I did that. There was a table of contents. I copied the wrong thing here, but you on sure this, did. I did. But what why don't you doing? go ahead? Do you know I'm just being me? Uh, so when people, <laughs> so if they have two journals, and we're talking about the craft book first. In this craft book, when you open it up, what do you like to have on that very first page? The first thing people see in their journals. 
the title page? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Not this. Not this. <laughs> What I, what I really like is uh, I, I want to know more about the students. So if you'll see the two examples, I went ahead and when I was trying to show my students how to do this, I just grabbed stuff from my, I had all these teacher things in my desk and stuff like that. So that's what you see there on the craft book and the draft book. So I was just showing the students that they were going to have to have two of them. Uh, and then the very first page, when they open up the page, I want it to be the title page. And so the title page is going to be the way, the way I present it with the students is I show them a book. And when I show them a book, we have the cover and then we open it up and then there's a title page. So I want their title page to give us a little information about what's going to be inside of their book and maybe a little bit of information about themselves. So that's kind of, so that's what I have on my title page. And so the students will decorate it, things like that. And uh, and then it will say, you know, if it's a craft book or a draft book, you know, that's what it'll say at the top. And then the students will let us know a little bit more about it. So I model it after an actual uh, book. So that's kind of what they do. And the reason that I do that is if the kids are using a spiral notebook, in the past, I've had students where the cover comes off. And so they at least have a title page. So it, it kind of works just like a, like a regular book. Is that what you want me to say? Of course. I mean, this is, I, I, I like the idea of the title page. Um, and it, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? It's, it's a little, it's kind of a piece about them. It's kind of, it's, if you're setting up craft books at the beginning of the year, it's always a, a fun time. You know, it's a good, mm-hmm. it could be a class builder. It could be a team builder. It could be a partner, a share. Mm-hmm. It could be all of these things, right? So Having that in place is next. And then what you would see next is this table of contents. Right. So if you flip the page, right. um, we it wouldn't you wouldn't be on the back of that. We don't write on the back of that page, but then on this right side would be the table of contents, right? And in this table of contents is something along the lines of this. So this is um, what it would look like in an actual journal. So the title page would be around. On the other side of that. Yep, on the other side of there. And then you have uh, the page numbers. So what happens here is what the way I like to kind of do this, and I think people can do this in a different way. And the reason why this format um, for me really works is what it all comes to in publishing. So keep in mind all of this. This is going to come back. This isn't uh, this way just to be this way. It all rounds back together. But what I do is here, this will be the number, right? So the number of the mini lesson, the page number it's found on, the standard we're in Texas, so we got our text, and then a brief descriptor, right? This could be what the standard is. This could be what we talked about that day. This could be any of those things. What that ends up looking like in an actual notebook is this. So this is one of my old sixth grade journals that we use, but as you can see, this is all the way up to page or to mini lesson 50, um, but this is a little everything. So we started with making inferences and using evidence. I even put stuff in here like review, formative data. All of mm-hmm. this stuff would be your choice as to how you're using this in uh, your own classroom, what was listed, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is really interesting to do because it gets kids interacting with the standard regularly. It gets them um, you know, some 
just describing what each one is, and that way they can reference it pretty quickly. Once again, this really comes back into play during publishing. Um, looking at this, Miss Ochoa, do you see anything that you've done differently that you find that works better, or um, is this similar to how you've approached TOC? I think it's similar. Uh, I, li- I kind of like yours a little bit more. I think I don't have as many details probably. But one of the things that I want to point out is that it's organized. Like you did mini lesson number one, right? Mm-hmm. And that was on page nine. You see that? So, and then that was on your first day, for example. Then your second day you did page, you know, mini lesson number two. So it goes in chronological order, which I think is very helpful. Uh, is that how you do it? Yes. It is chronological. And I think that's one of the things we talked about. I've tried to do in the past where uh, you have a vocabulary section and you have a, a you know, spelling section and you have a, a notes section and you have, and the students get lost and it, and it all, the lesson becomes about how to organize your notebook. And I determined years ago that that was a problem for my classes because it all became about my grade was about, did you put your vocabulary in the right spot? Mm-hmm. And what I learned helped me. And then also when I taught, I taught other subjects. So I did learning, learning logs is what I called them in other subjects similar to this. And I learned just going in, in chronological order was very helpful. And if a student came into my classroom, I wouldn't have to reset up. We could just go right right in order. And so uh, it helped with new students and all of that. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. And I, you know, the, the order of things you can kind of see is because it is logical or in chronological order is Mm -hmm. that what's kind of cool is you can kind of see the, how the units go about. So you can tell here that, you know, Uh, We go to setting and then internal, external responses, point of view, plot, flashback. Anyone who's in Texas kind of you start seeing the same standards and then it starts transitioning. So around here, you can look at this to where we start getting to publishing. So it took about 18 mini lessons for me to work through with my sixth graders all up into that publishing process because it all meshes together with this. So it's kind of fun just to see, you know, how, how long it takes. So when you look back. I don't really have lessons that I go back to. I read you lessons all the time, but I do have, you know, I'll look at this and go, oh, you know, it took about 18 mini lessons to get to where we were at the publishing stage of stuff. So it just kind of reframes what I'm thinking of differently. So um, the table of contents might seem small, but it's, it's very beneficial um, in a lot of ways. I know people who are in, who are into interactive journals are no, um, you know, they're not strangers to interactive uh, to table of contents or whatnot, but what differentiates this is how it connects to publishing once again. But we'll talk about that here. In well, just a go ahead. Ochoa. But also, also like you're saying, it connects to publishing. But here's one thing: if anybody, any administrator, anybody was interested in what your students are doing and what they're learning, they could go to any student in your classroom, and they will know the standards. Any student can tell them what standards they've learned. Not only that, this is a true record of what you have done every day in your in your classroom. So you could like probably put this page, these pages, your table of contents up next to your curriculum guide and it would all be there. So you could even take a look and say, okay, oop, I missed something here. I need to go back and get it. So I think this is a great tool for the teacher and for the student. And well, then for anybody coming into your room. 
Yeah, I was going to add the coming into your room because we talk about mm-hmm. a lot that, you know, not everyone understands what workshop is, not under, not everyone understands the the nuances to stuff. So sometimes it can look a little bit more free for all than it really is. So this is mm-hmm. another this is just another point of reference for people who might not be in a place that's pro workshop. You could be like, "Look, I'm following the standards, I'm following the pacing guide, the scope and sequence, whatever it is that you're having to um, abide by. But this is, you know, it's just one more piece of evidence to what we're doing, which is kind of what the whole craft and draft system is Mm -hmm. about. But all right, Um, let's move on. So after the table of contents in the craft book still, we love having a reading record. Now it can be a printed off piece like this, um, or it can be handwritten, which we'll show you in a second. But the reading record, you know, Donalyn Miller talks about this. Linda Reef talks about this. Uh, Nancy Atwell talks about this. Uh, it's it's pretty common, but we like to keep it um, in our journals because um, I think it's a nice formative way to just judge uh, both for the student and the teacher of how much reading is really being done on the on the part of the student. Because what they'll do is when they finish a book. Or um, when they abandon a book, they'll put it here. Um, now, I always tell my students, like, if you pick up a book and read, like, 10 day, like ten pages or whatever and then abandon it, like, you don't, need, you don't need to put every book you try on here. This is books that you sat with and you either really went through it or they just didn't ap- appeal to you, you know, after 100 pages or whatever or after, like, a week or so of being apart of, of, of that book. So what they'll do is they simply list the title, the author, the genre, and then date finished or date abandoned. And then they rank it. And this allows for great, uh, conversations about, you know, all right, so it's been a six weeks. Let's talk about the great books that we read, or let's warn each other about books that we shouldn't read. (laughs) Or, um, you know, sometimes a bad review from someone is a good review to someone else. Like if a kid's like, oh, there was way too much violence in this book, you know, that might be the encouragement. Some other kid needs to go, uh, get that book, but it's a nice, just wonderful list. Um, on the reading record, Miss Ochoa, do you have, do you add a, a to be read section in your journal as well? Uh, yeah, I think there is a to be read. Uh, I do have that in there. Yes. So now we go, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this stuff, because this is really kind of the magic of this. So what will happen is your mini lessons will end up being all on the odd side. So always on the rise. And we're going to talk about why in just a little bit, but for the sake of this, so once you get to around page 11, now there's no right, right, there's no right or wrong way to number these pages uh, in terms of how far this one happens to be on page 11. Yours might be on page 13. Um, it just matters because you might have something that you want to add at the beginning of the craft book. You might have certain sections that you want to add some like you could add a data set a planning set. You can add all kinds of stuff to this, to whether your district needs something. But for the sake of this, let's say page 11 is the first mini lesson that we're going to do. The structure of this mini lesson um, and how it looks in here is, is in one way, it really is just notes, right? It's, it's the way to interact. But the way we treat it is, uh, you know, I think of it almost as like, Uh, the anchor charts that live with students, it becomes the mapping of our learning. It also holds our model text. I'm going to show that in just a second. So what we love to do is start out with that standard at the very top. Um, In our district, it's very important that we use standards. We're standards based educators. Um, 
you can make this difference if you would like, but we start with the standard, we put it up there, and then as we're going through this lesson, you know, we'll hit on some of the key words, right? If this is my first lesson I've ever done about inferencing, we're going to define inferencing, and we're going to define what does evidence mean, and, and what is support, and what is understanding, and have that conversation. Try to work in that understanding of academic language from the very beginning, but when my students walk in, this is what they do. They walk in, they open their craft books, and they jot down the standard. That's how I know they are ready. It's the expectation that when that bell rings, I'm, you know, I might forget attendance. So you got to be ready the moment it goes because I might just skip over attendance and jump right in to the lesson. Um, and that's something that you know it, it really took place in my bell work. I tried doing quotes, I tried doing pictures, and sometimes I will bring that stuff in um, as fun. But really. If having just the standard up every day because my document camera's on, I'm displaying my journal, kids know what to do, it's expected, and then we're, we're, we're running. And guess what? At any point in time when someone walks into my room, they if I don't have my standard written up, if I don't have whatever I need on my wall or whatever, guess what? You can open any journal in that room and they're right, they have the standard for the day. Right. Any kid can tell you what we're doing that day because they're writing down the standard for the day. I mean, it's such a, it's such a small thing, but it, it, once again, there's so many layers to why these things exist. Do you want to add to that before I go on, Ms. Ochoa? Are you okay? Oh. Well, one of the things that I'm noticing about your standard is it's not written in kid-friendly language. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times uh, I've I've been advised to even do kid-friendly language, but my my position on that is the students need to know the words. So what I do, and I do the same thing. We walk in. This is what we do at the beginning, and we talk about what does inferencing mean? What is evidence? So by the time I'm finished with this standard, the students understand. They even tell me what it means. So uh, when it's all said and done, I teach the students these words as we go, and that's part of my lesson. Yes. And then, so this is me putting these questions right here. Is just uh, I might write these questions out, uh, Mm -hmm. or I might, I might, I might. Usually, what I'll do is if I have like questions I really want to ask um, about the standard, um, or if I have leading questions that I want to ask, what I'll do is a lot of the times I'll write these like on a sticky note or like in my version of the craft book, just kind of off to the side or on my iPad somewhere. So me putting them here is just guiding the thinking for us for the presentation, but I wouldn't always put the questions. I wouldn't write them always right there. Right. Um, I, I typically have a conversation about them. Yeah, so we would have uh, a, a conversation about like those questions if we did this. Right. And and I may even have it written on my, you know, I like to do use my whiteboard. So I might oh, yeah. have it written on the whiteboard and then I'll have I'll, I'll even have it color coded. I'll do all kinds of stuff with mm-hmm. it where the students will you know, I'll underline it, they'll underline it, we'll do things like that. Sometimes I have them come up and underline it. So yeah. I try to make this as interactive as possible depending on the time that I have and really how important it is I need them to know what this standard means. 100%. All right. So Mm -hmm. what would happen next for me, and we're going to show a different version of this in a little bit with your uh, journal. So what I do 95% of the time is I'll take an excerpt from something um, and I shrink it down. So I I, I make it a little bit smaller and then students either staple or tape or glue these into the journal under the standard. My model text becomes something that actually lives in the 
craft book. So this means that if us if we hit on a poem that students like, let's say we're doing The Man in the Jar, and students really love this piece, guess what? This piece is going to be in their craft book all the time. So they have a model text. It's not something that they turn in. We're not handing it to them so they can annotate it and turn in, and then we're going to grade their annotations. All of that lives in the craft book, right? They're mm-hmm. not turning in anything uh, at all at this level. So uh, what happens is I was so excited when I when I started doing this because well it, because it it made the 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 text the kids remembered them more, right? When they were bored, they would flip through their craft book and they're like, oh yeah, I remember this piece. Or if I'm sitting with a student. And I remember that we studied something on Monday and I'm conferring with them and I realize that they're not connecting the dots by Friday. I'm like, oh, you know what? Let's open mini lesson one again. Let's look at man in the jar. I want to relook at that with you. Boom. Reteach. You have a teacher table. Reteach. You have tutorials. Reteach. But it all happens in the craft book. So they always have the text. There's no making a million copies of stuff. Oh, I don't have a copy. So let's go find something else. It lives right there. It's a small thing, but I think it's so valuable. And then what happens from there is we will start going through the lesson. So here's just an example of questions that I might ask as we're going through this. Whatever you're doing as the teacher will determine how you go through something, right? If you're mm-hmm. heavy on annotations, you might annotate with them. If you're um, if you're looking for specific questions for them to answer, then those are the questions you'll do there. So the teaching piece is obviously up to you. This isn't some uh, prepackaged method of, of teaching. What this is, is a system to do that. So as your whatever lesson you're doing, it just lives in here and you would go through that. Is this similar to how you think about doing this, Ms. Ochoa? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've always done the uh, text. That's probably something I'll adopt. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, yeah, we've hit on really that like difference. How you do that. Huh? Yeah, we, I think we've, we've talked about that difference on the podcast too a few times. Yeah, I think we have, but I, it's, I just didn't think of it. You know, when we first originally thought about this, we both went our own ways in yeah. our own classrooms and we implemented it in the best way that we understood. So I do like this. Um, I, th- I think, I, and, and I did start doing it at the end. Like I do have some poems, you know, th- when, when I learned that you were doing that and it did make a huge difference. It really did to have the students have that writing right there. So I, I am, I think it's a great thing to, to do. No, you're good. You're not bothering me, but I think that's a great thing to do is all I'm saying. Go ahead. I was going to say, and for like longer, like for poems, this is obviously really easy to do for longer pieces. Like if you're doing a big short story, um, I do the same thing. A lot of the times we'll, we'll fold it in there and we might just staple an edge or if there's an article, sometimes we'll make it, we'll fold it. And then that way you just kind of have to unfold it a little bit. So it becomes like a foldable, so to speak. Um, go ahead. Well, uh, in that note, another thing that I have done, and I've done this in this last, uh, in my last reading uh, thing that I do with my students not my students, but my teachers. And, um, but you have library pockets or what another thing I've done is used, uh, gone down to the regular store and bought different colored envelopes, mm-hmm. the little smaller envelopes. So what my students do when it's a larger piece, they will uh, tape that into their, and they have fun. Sometimes I get washi tape and other stuff, you know, just for fun. At least I did pre-COVID. And uh, so they would tape it, decorate it, 
and then um, they would they would fold it and put their uh, piece inside that envelope, and so mm-hmm. that envelope would be inside uh, where your man in the jar is. There, that might be an envelope that might say, you know, whatever piece it is. But then they pull it out and they have the full article. Yes. See, so. wonderful too, right? And this is mm-hmm. here's the thing. Once again, just to reiterate, this is not a uh, you can't deviate. Like there's there's pieces to this. That I think are great having the mini lesson number at the top, having the standards, having a piece, and then working around the piece. But there's there's a million ways to kind of alter this to fit your lesson. Not all of my mm-hmm. mini lessons look exactly like this. Some of them look different. Some of them are shorter. If it's a right. if it's a day where we're doing a heavy writing day, like a, th- this page might be a whole quick write one day. Right. Mm -hmm. So it might not always be directly tied to looking like this, but the variety is there. And then what I want to add is at the bottom, I I usually reserve, I try some, sometimes our mini lesson pages get so filled, but at the bottom, I really try to do, um, some type of reflective debrief, right? Why do you think this poem or what do you, what do you think this poem was about and why, right? That might be a really basic question to ask that can go as deep as you want, but I'm, I've talked about this on the podcast. I'm horrible at debriefing, right? I'll just jump to the next thing super fast. So I try to, I know. <laughs> so I try to incorporate the, that, that bottom piece as that kind of reserve it. Sometimes I'm better at it than other days, but. Well, for those of you who do Cornell notes, uh, you could set this whole page up like mm. a Cornell notes section. And at the bottom, um, of a Cornell note is a summary where they have to write a summary. And so that could be what you have at the bottom. And then you could use that as your debrief. So you could easily uh, have the students, you know, fold this one page, draw a little line there, and then they would have the Cornell notes set up. So if you, if that's what your district prefers that you do, because there are some places where they're all a Cornell note type place, you could still do this and have your system of note taking in in this, you just make this page look like that note taking system. Correct. All right. So now let's get to this left side because this is where now we're getting a little bit deeper, right? This whole thing, it's like piece by piece. And before you know it, it's this tapestry. So we go to um, this left side. So after the, the mini lesson, let's say your mini lesson takes 15 minutes. After that, we love setting the reading goals. Um, the goal setting was something that I stumbled across on, but then when I worked with you, it really kind of came into fruition because this was the kind of magic button. Cause what would happen is I used to teach and then we'd be like, okay, time to read or kids would come in and we would read first and then we would teach. And I just kept on running into the fact that lessons were not being transferred to their independent reading at the rate that they should have. There was a disconnect. It was like we we did school and we learned, but what I was what we were teaching and what we were learning was not always directly translating to that independent practice. So one of the things that we added was after the mini lesson, we go, okay guys, let's set reading goals. What would be a great reading goal to set based on what we talked about today? At the beginning of the year, This might be really strict to your standard, right? You might even want to guide them, especially if you're dealing with younger students. You might Mm -hmm. want to guide them and be like, okay, so we talked about inferencing today. What does inferencing mean? Oh, it means, you know, thinking about using text evidence to really think beyond the text, et cetera, et cetera, however you want to phrase that in your your land. Like, okay, so what what goal could we set for ourselves, right? Um, So, but if you're dealing with older kids or honors kids or pre-AP kids, um, 
or if it's later in the year, this might be a wide variety of things. If you talked about figurative language, setting, and structure in your mini lesson, they might be able to set goals based on all of those different things from that. It doesn't always have to be directly tied to the standard, but in the early days, um, and especially as you're teaching kids how to set goals in reading, um, it's important. And I want, I want you to talk a little bit, Ms. Ochoa, just about um, what, do you, what do you think the value of having kids set goals just in general? Because I feel like it's, it's, we, we want it to be academic. We want them to connect their learning. But, I mean, real readers set goals too, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's where we, we talked about this as a way to maybe measure growth. Mm. So if a student is able to meet that goal, and then when they take their assessment and they can actually do what the goal says that they're going to be able to do, then you as a teacher and the student as a student will know that they've been able to reach those goals. But we all know that successful people have that they, I mean, we set goals in all areas uh, of life. Those who are successful, they have a goal, they reach out, they strive, they meet it. I mean, right now we're doing the Olympics. These, these people who were in the Olympics, they have set goals. Mm-hmm. to win a medal, to, you know, just just to achieve or, you know, go for the gold or to break a world record. They have a goal. And if they don't have that goal, then they don't have a way for them to uh, map out their their uh, journey. So the goal is like you're, I mean, that, that's, that's what you're striving for. So, 100%. and what we have to do as teachers is one of the things that we're measured on when our students take these high stakes tests is did our students meet the goals that the state has for them? Well, if you're looking at your inference, I mean, your inferencing standard here, um, six, five, six, uh, five F it's about inferencing and inferencing is probably one of the most difficult things for students to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's probably where most people most students fail on these tests is in inferencing and being able to find that support. So their goal here should be tied to the standard in some way. So that goal that they have might be, I want to become a better inference. I want to be able to make better inferences. Uh, The goal could be, I want to be able to uh, use um, appropriate evidence. It might not just be finding evidence, but is that evidence appropriate to uh, what I'm trying to to determine. So the goal could be a little bit different, but it could just, if it's to make inferences, then they could say at the beginning of the year, I might just say, my goal is to be able to make inferences when I read. And that may, and I may help them uh, write that goal out. So you went ahead and added some stuff. So let's see what you had. I want to infer while I read. There you go. It can be that simple. Uh, I want to think about the deeper meaning of my book. So see, it doesn't, but it should be tied to inferencing uh, in some way. I want to reach page 10. Nothing wrong with that. But once you reach that, what are you going to do with it? So exactly. that's probably what I would add there. Mm-hmm. Well, so one of the things that I think the reason I added the I want to reach page 10 is because mm-hmm. I think specifically at the beginning of the year, right? And this was like, if, if I'm like teaching sixth grade, for instance, I'm trying to get my kids to realize that we read for a variety of reasons, right? We're we talking do. about inferencing. We're doing that. But sometimes I read, like sometimes I just want to get to a certain point in a book. I'm like, you know what? I'm picking a new book today. I want to read 10 pages. I want to see if I like it today. So I think those goals are valid, um, especially in the beginning. And I mean, throughout the year too, you just kind of have to measure the point of this goal setting is 
it's more data for the teacher because if you're working with your kids and you have them start setting goals throughout the beginning of the year, you can take notes on, oh, you know, this, they're making good goals here, there's here. And then in six weeks, check again, be like, oh, what kind of goals are we setting now? And you can even talk about this with your readers. If you have a reader that's struggling, one of the pieces that y'all can talk about just in their independent practices, what kind of goals are we setting over time? It's like every day you're writing, you're writing kind of the same goal. Do you think that's successful? So letting them, we talk about metacognition, it's like a buzzword in education, but if you sit with students and you actually walk through this, this metacognitive process of talking about, okay, so what's going to help me read today? How am I going to be an effective reader on my own? Um, all of those are good things for them to talk about. We, I think we take it for granted because as English teachers, you know, <laughs> we're pretty good at reading by and large as a group. So we, we take mm-hmm. for granted that like when we sit down with the book, we usually have a goal. We might not like write it out and say, you know, I want to do this. But when I, I try to read, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes every night before bed. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's like my goal that I have set for myself. But sometimes I sit down to learn information. Sometimes I sit down to dive more into characters, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, it's another way to connect. And, um, look, I had another one. I want to find something to read, uh, student reflection on goal at the end of the reading workshop. So if we're splitting the workshop in half, when kids come in, they write down the standard. You do your mini lesson. Boom. We set a reading goal. They go off to read. After that, or even during their reading, this left side is for them to interact with their independent reading for whatever their goal is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This should get more complex, more nuanced as the year goes on, because they should be able to interact with their books in a variety of ways. Um, in the early days, like kids might just want to recount what they talk about. Um, they might do this, but as we go deeper, you want them, you want to see evidence that they're thinking about their books and Uh everything else. And then drawing those connections. So the reason why we do everything on the right and this on the left is because, Let's say you do this for a week. What you should see is a mini lesson, student independent practice, a mini lesson, student independent practice, a mini lesson, student independent practice. And so what this does is it creates a preponderance of evidence, a qualitative data that you can now analyze and look at and learn more about your students and and learn what students need from your actual mini lessons. And it's a body of work of just showing their thinking over time. Anyone I have seen, we've seen teachers at my campus and in other campuses doing this. And I've done walkthroughs of teachers who were using craft and draft that I didn't even know were using craft and draft in our district. And it's so cool to see because what happens every time is you can tell what the depth of learning the student is having, because you say, Oh, let's, let's look in your journal and you open it and you see all this learning. You see the learning from the mini lesson and how their independent practice is going. It's not separate. It's not worksheets that kids, uh, that filled out and turned in. It's not this nebulous work that they, you know, they walked around and they, you know, they, they just filled it out on all of these anchor charts and stuff. It lives in their journal and it's directly tied to everything. It's in, it, when, when it, when it's working, it is such a massive collection of evidence of learning and study and mm-hmm. uh, everything else that they need that it's, no one can deny the, the depth of learning and thinking that's happening when this kind of two sides of the craft book are being utilized to the degree that they can be. 
I don't know. I get excited. Can you tell I'm excited, Miss Ochoa? I'm ex- I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I'm excited. But uh, you have anything no, to I add just, to that for the left side? Uh, well, I mean, I think or we're going to talk. Are, are we going to talk a little bit more about it coming up? Probably. Okay. <laughs> because there's other things you can do with this too. Sure. But yeah, I, I like everything you said there. Um. There oh. you go. So stuff like this. So used to extend Mm -hmm. a mini lesson if needed. Have students practice model sentences, styles, deeper thinking. So once again, right, like if I did, if we're looking at like model sentences and we want to practice that, we might put that on the right side and then students can practice on the left. Um, I've done stuff to where I wanted students to work on structure. Um, like I did a lesson one time using that first paragraph from the tale of two cities, right? As best of times was the worst of times. And I wanted students to use that structure. So on the right was that. And on the left was our practice, right? Right. And just playing with it that way. I mean, this, this two kind of side, uh, thing can be used for so many things. This section can also be used for general reading reflection or serve as a dialogic journal. I have used dialogic journals for tutorials so often, which for people who are unfamiliar, they're used in different ways. A lot of times the way I use them is just having a dialogue with the book. Half the page is kind of like a quote from something. And then the the other half of the page is the, how they respond to it. So students can have a running dialogic journal in their craft book as well. Right. And I, you know, this is just a, like I said, we use this page for uh, reflection. We use this page for what you're talking about. The students can even use this page if they, if they're having an issue, they can use this page with writing the kind of conferencing questions that they might want to ask mm-hmm. us for a conference. So there's all different ways that you can use this page. But typically, this page is tied to uh, the right page, mm-hmm. typically. Mm-hmm. As much as possible, I would say, um, you know, let it let it meander if it needs to, and let students um, use it how necessarily. But over time, you're definitely wanting the the marriage of the two, right? Because it, it's right. the it's the independent practice to right. the mini lesson going down. Yeah, the independent practice, the reflection, which you already have all there. So I like that I you mentioned that the. I, well, I like that you mentioned the conference because. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you sit down with to conference with students about stuff, the conference notes can go in there. Having students be able to jot down their own notes from the conference can go there as well. Right, and when when I have students um, reflect on each other's work, uh, they they might write a post it note. I would give the one student student A would give student B their feedback, and then my students would tape it into this piece. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've done too is when we get closer to um, the testing, I have had students, uh, kind of like you did with the man in the jar there, they actually take some of their, uh, some questions that might go with that particular piece and they would tape it over here on this left side. How would this be assessed? So those are some other things. Cause I think it's important that the students know how it's going to be, how they are going to be assessed and then they can see the transfer because really that's the key is it's the transfer of knowledge and you're trying to get you're you're giving them this over here but you're trying to help them work with it over here yes and Mm -hmm. then that's where you kind of get this accountability piece too right we've talked a lot about like we live in the same world as everyone else in terms of standardized testing testing that's needed for this or that and so we start you know wide 
in our workshop. And then as we go mm-hmm. towards the test, it becomes narrower. And so if right. the man in the jar at the beginning of the six weeks, this might be really wide. But if I use this closer to the test as my review, so to speak, multiple choice type questions might be there. Um, or like you said, it might be on the left side to where we go, okay, so this is these are the notes. We've talked about inferencing here. So this is what it looks like in a multiple choice question. And then drawing that co- connection between the free thought of this is kind of what we do in workshop. So what does that look like when you're having to select the best answer? And what that does is mm-hmm. it creates that metacognition of students because that's what happens a lot on multiple choice tests. It's not the fact that kids don't know information. It's that they're not transferring what they know mm-hmm. into something as standardized as a multiple choice question. Right. And then again, you know, I'm about to have to give a presentation on how to respond to reading, you know, for our curriculum. Mm-hmm. And, um, but what I just, all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know, cause our star tests are changing. They change them about what, every five to 10 years. Yeah. Anyway, it's changing and we're going to have to be doing constructive uh, responses. So you could actually have them on this left side, um, write their constructive response. So you could mm-hmm. give them, a res- you know, a writing response to that. They could respond in right there as well. And then you could even use that in a conference as well. So that's some other things that you could do with that. So it's just whatever you need. Um you know, that comes up. And then this is the place where you can get the kids, like you said earlier, to practice so that you can make sure they know it before you move on. Correct. And then you can use this if you you walk around the room. Now, I had my students take pictures of their work and turn it in that way because of COVID. But it, but when I'm, since we're going to have a face-to-face, I've been known to walk around the room. I've been known to take picture of it and then uh, construct some of my, my conferencing needs or my groupings needs from these pages. Mm-hmm. Yes. A hundred percent. It's, it's a living, breathing mm-hmm. data collecting thing, but there, it's not right. restrictive, right? It doesn't ever feel what's funny is kids end up liking it because it, oh, it, you know, it's, well, it's because they're interacting authentically. It lives in their journal. It takes the shape of them. You know, we're guiding them with our own mini lessons, but mm-hmm. it, eventually it evolves in their hands and they control the left side and it becomes, it's a marriage of this is what we're learning. So the, the kind of restrictive nature of just teaching in general, what it takes to do a lesson, right. but it's married to the freedom and the fact that they own it. And so it, students don't feel, you know, oppressed by it. They don't feel restricted. It becomes literally just their place of learning, which is super cool. But all right, mm-hmm. we're moving on for the sake of time. Okay. Uh, here is a, an example of yours. Um, Notice so this how is just, his is all typed and mine's all handwritten. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make me lazy? <laughs> that makes me lazy know. if mine's typed. Oh, okay. All right, I'll go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and once again, like we do write all of our stuff out. I always do the lesson with them, so it would look mm-hmm. a lot like this. But you can see how hers is a little different here. She even has the title of the lesson, the objective. So you can really detail this as much as possible. I do stress that having the learning objective at the top because this is it's the foundation of everything. So just another way to check this out. Really love it. I love how um I, I don't know. I just love everything you do when you put stuff on here. So nice. It's oh, so you're nice. nice. All right. Well, this oh, go is. Ahead, go ahead. That, oh no, no. Well, that that particular thing, which I don't know where you went now, but 
that I, at the beginning, I like to create community and I like to know more about them. So I do this little brochure there for those of you who want to look at it. I do it to know more about my students. And I think it's, you know, some people do surveys. This is like my, my answer to a survey. But if you'll look down there on required information, uh, that third panel that says my reading hero, that's probably my f- most favorite part. Because what I have the students do is they have to, uh, they have to name somebody that they know. It's not a star of, as far as like a, you know, a, a movie star, anything like that. But it's actually a real person in their life that is their reading hero. I just wanted to point that out because uh, it, I have I have gotten a lot of uh, bang for my buck, if you will, uh, where the students they talk about their reading heroes, and it's really kind of a neat thing. So I just wanted to share that. That's Thanks. awesome. Thanks for letting awesome. me. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, uh, someone out there is getting inspired here. So questions, you don't have questions because you're not hearing this live or you're not, <laughs> but all right. So let's go to, that was really just the divider for the draft book. So we're in the draft book territory. Okay. So that's like okay. the craft book 101 draft book is similar, but different in a lot of ways. The, the, if the, if the, the craft book has a s- specific structure. So does the draft book, but the draft book takes on a life of its own because it's where the thinking and the writing and the creations happening in the classroom. So if that was the, and I always, I want to stress this too, before we move on is uh, the craft book, you know, we talked about kind of reading examples a lot, but those mini lessons are writing their grammar, their everything, their publishing, their everything can be in there. So the craft book is not the reading journal. The craft book is the study of the craft and that's reading, that's writing, that's everything that goes into the craft of literacy. Okay. And that's a very important distinction. Um, even though the draft book, uh, is really focused on the writing, it it's, it's just as nuanced as the craft book, but all right. With that qualifier out of the way, um, draft book, open it up. You have the table of contents. Now I'm going to be hundred percent honest here. I have done it with the table of contents and I have done the draft book without the table of contents. Um, when I did it with my students two years ago, I had the table of contents. It worked really well. We also had a section at the beginning. We've talked about this on the podcast territories where students can write down their ideas. I'm going to let you talk about some of that in just a second. Um, but when I, re- when I had my students again the next time, we didn't do the table of contents because they were so used to the process that they didn't see it as valuable. So we made that decision. So as we're going through this, people can decide what they want. But So what in your draft book, Ms. Ochoa, what do you have at the beginning? Here we're seeing the table of contents obviously set up very similarly to the craft book. But is there anything else that you have uh, at the beginning of the draft book? Well, I have the, like you said, the table of contents, and that's the work, and the students pretty much control that as they need to. Uh, The first few, I do have one section in the book, and that's about the first five front and back pages, um, and that is of their writing territories, like Nancy Atwell mentioned writing territories, so that's where that term comes from, but um, 
I have all, I just really feel that students need to have a place where they record any idea, anything that they find. Uh, so, so there's a place where, uh, I might have the students list things that they want to write about. Uh, so those are some of my mini lessons at the beginning of my writing time. And so uh, a lesson might be, you know, think about your favorite memories of, I don't know, your fifth grade year, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. So they list and, and they do different things to find ideas. Um, and I use do this with all the different genres. Uh, the other thing, too, is if the students go out, some of my assignments are where the students can go collect things. So they might, in their ideas, they might collect photographs. They might collect uh, different things that might sponsor some writing, and they will put that in that section. So uh, that's typically what we do. As a matter of fact, uh, Last year, we ran out of room uh, in that section. But the students, when they go, I don't know what to write, I said, okay, well, go to your territory section. So they go into their, and I call it the ideas section, actually, is what I do, their writing ideas section. Mm -hmm. And so they go into their writing ideas section, and then they find something to write about. So that's what I do. Yeah. And there's, uh, I... I don't know. I, I love the draft book because it's so freeing. And the, and the same thing as the numbers. Um, we write on the right side. We keep the left open. We're going to talk about why yeah. that's in right here. You can even say drafts will always be written in odd number pages in the draft book. If you need another page, continue on the next odd number page. This will mean that you write on the right side. This is important mm-hmm. for a variety Very of reasons. Important. Yes. Um, and it do, it does take the students if they are not familiar with it. It does take a second for them to go what, but uh, once they get it, they they're they, I mean it works. Well, they so. uh, mine almost end up liking it more because some of them will forget and then they'll they'll write on the back of the page and they're like oh I don't like that because it muddies it up and I mean yeah. it's a whole mess yes. but. It's also mm-hmm. for a different reason, which we're about to get to. But so right. if you are looking at just a standard craft book page, right? We do the numbers. Students will draft daily on topics, genres, and pieces of their choice. This is where, like, let's say um, the in the ideal craft and draft classroom, after students have had the mini lesson they've read, their craft book's still around, right? They're, they're not putting it away. They're connecting those ideas. We're constantly weaving the reading and writing workshop together. Yes. So if a mini lesson is effective um, and if you're creating mini lessons that are responsive to students, what will happen is they'll start pulling this stuff. And you'll encourage them like, okay, so what's – before we go into writing, right – Set a writing goal. We'll go into get our goals going and and think about what this is. Think about what we want to do. And like what what we we talked about. This person was so mad in this piece. What's something that we can connect to? Right. You might be having this conversation in many lessons too. But and then it evolves into pieces and ideas and vignettes and poems and uh, and stories and stuff into this. This is the heart. And, uh, you know, this is the beating heart of the, the writing side is jumping in here. Um, let me go here. The left side is four. So if they're drafting over here on the right side, the left side, guess what? Goals, right? Putting right. those writing goals up there. Um, this becomes equally as important. It starts kids thinking about, okay, so I'm going to need a goal every day. Chastain's going to ask me what my goal is. He's going to walk by. We're going to start doing this. We're going to do it together as a class. 
But eventually what happens is students, they start planning their goals before they walk into your room. When your workshop's kicking, I have like you'll have students come up to you in the hallway, not even in your classroom. Like, Mr. You know, Mr. Choa, I have this great idea for my piece today. And right. you know, do you do you feel that too? Like when that momentum, when they start when yeah. you start training their brains to be like, okay, I'm oh, going yeah. to have reading goals, I'm gonna have writing goals today, they their their brains start thinking about the content even when they're not in your class. Right. And, and, you know, and their, their goal could be anything like I'm going to, I'm going to figure out my problem for my character. It might be, could be just to complete a page of writing. I mean, it just different things, but yeah, once the, once it starts getting kicked off, they're, they're like, you know, Mr. Cho, I'm going to see if I can write five pages today. I'm like, of what? Oh, I'm writing a story now. I'm writing a book. I'm going to, you know, so they've done all kinds of stuff like that. That happens quite often. Um, we also leave the left for revision, right? That's I do that often. I mean, it is for revision. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. No, so revision. Uh, I do a lot of, uh, like for example, uh, a lesson on uh, showing elaboration, and so that might be on the right side of my craft book. Right. They do a little practice. I might give them a, a sentence that they have to elaborate. Whatever that assignment is. Thing. And then they come to one of their pieces of writing that they've gotten uh, into their draft book. And on the left side, they find a, pl- pay, a place where they're going to have to show, not tell. So they find a, a, a boring sentence, so to speak. Maybe not a boring. I don't know if anything's boring, but you know what I mean? A, a, a mundane sentence. And then on the left side, they might write an elaboration. I might do a, a lesson on how to do uh, uh, introductions. So on the left side, they might have to write two other introductions and then they circle or star the one they're going to actually use. So that's how I use revision. What you, so what happens too for me is this left side gets used a lot once students are really into something, right? Because we stress that you shouldn't write on students writing. It should be theirs. And we show that in a variety of ways by letting them choose what they want to write about, but also never grabbing it, scratching all over it. You know, the, uh, it always mm-hmm. makes me cry on the inside when I hear someone's like, oh, my God, I have so many red marks on this paper. It's like, stop doing that, right? The better way, right. in my opinion, in our opinion, really, is to leave that right side for them. That's theirs. They own it all the time. And this left side is where if you want to write in right. your journal, you can do it here, right? You could do some co-writing here. You can do some group writing here. If you don't want to write on it, you could use uh, you know, Post-it notes or whatever yeah, you can they, do here. And they can tape it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what ends up happening, though, is students start going. The reason why this left side is really good like this, too, is that if they're writing something on the right side, they will be able to have it always out. Right. We've always had, you know, students like any barrier to deeper thinking is something you kind of want to remove. Right. right. Like you artificial barriers. Right. They uh, kids are always going to be a little resistant to revision and editing until they realize until they're really passionate about what they're writing. Um, so just another way to remove that restriction is just to where they don't even have to flip the page. Their piece is right there. Then on the left side, you can be like, Oh, like, you know, if you have a kid struggling with grammar and that's what you want to work on that day, just work on it on that left side there. Or if kids like students might be struggling with word choice. So we might be like, Oh, you know, what are some different words that we can do that might be, you can list it there. And what I usually do is I have my iPad and I'll be I'll be listing it on mine and I encourage them to be listing it on there. So we're almost like co-conferencing, co-taking notes. So they're now involved in it, right? It's the whole process Mm -hmm. of getting them to think about their thinking, getting them to do this. And 
Making It Visible, right? Making Thinking Visible right. is like one of the greatest books of all time. Um, <laughs> It was, that book like changed the way I taught like the very early on, but mm-hmm. this is what that is. It's putting thinking on page, but in a way that's not, this isn't kids filling out outlines. It's not kids turning in, uh, you know, they, they have to fill out everything and then turn it in for their writing grade. It lives in here in an authentic way, in a non-obtrusive way, in a way that kids can interact with it. Uh, as often as they want, right? If they're, if it's a piece that needs a lot of revision, a lot of work, this is going to be more filled. Not every piece needs that. Some pieces suck. Sometimes kids write something and they want to move on. So like, right. it, it, it's not a, it, sometimes this is super detailed and sometimes it's not, but that's the beauty of it. Um, Ideas, we've talked about this a little bit because this reflects kind of the craft book side, but also just ideas for them. You know, if they're, kids get stuck Kids don't want to write sometimes. Kids are bored. I get bored. You know, it is what it is. Sometimes you're having a bad day. But sometimes that if you're if they don't want to like really commit to writing something on that right side, they can just jot down ideas. If you want to do um, you know, sometimes you do pre-writing activities uh in the mini lesson, but sometimes maybe you haven't done a pre-writing activity that week, but when you confer with the students, you're like, oh. Maybe there's a student right here. Maybe you have a group of students at your teacher table and they're all struggling with ideas. Guess what? This left side could be used for an idea generating exercise. You could be like Miss Ochoa and pull in a word and talk about all the meanings of a word to try to get them to make connections. That is lightning. (laughs) (laughs) One of my most successful ones was groovy. Just saying. Yeah. Um, so here I just added the, the connections and conference notes too. I've already kind of rambled through that as well. But that left side is the is the living side of everything that's happening, all the thinking that's happening around what's being written, right? Whether that's by mm-hmm. you. Um, you mentioned having uh, students partner. So if they're reading each other's work, this is where they could do it on the left. Um, this is where they can keep notes from each other. If you have peer editing going right. on, peer revision, all of that stuff can go there. Yeah, right? I do all that here. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, here's another, I'm sorry. Another thing that I was thinking too, is going back to that star practice, you know, that, that high stakes testing, Yep. uh, you could, when you get closer to that, have students collect prompts on this left side. That could be something you could do as well. Just a thought that you could. And that's and that that's what this is free for too, right? Is the mm-hmm. the realities of what teaching is. Bring that stuff in, but keep it in an authentic way. Kids are going to hate it less, right? Right. <laughs> You'll hate it less too because it, it just combines well, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all hate it, but you know, it is what it is. Right. Uh, why save the left for these? Writing on student drafts takes the power and ownership away from students. We are visitors to their work. <laughs> the don't go there yet. So these are the, the <laughs> two points. Um, but this is the draft book. So one thing I do want to point out to you is you'll have students, they'll write on the right side. And then let's say the next day they want to write on something else, but they they still might want to go back to this one. Just have them keep going. Don't have them skip pages. Don't do any of that. What they can do is at the top of their, um, at the top of their journal, what they can do is they can just say, continues on page 15, right? They might come back on page 15 and that way they can just kind of have a tracking of this. And we're going to talk about the number, why the page numbers are important here in just a second, but I wanted to point that out. Right. And that, and that's how that you just pointed that out, but that's also another reason why I went ahead and included uh, the table of contents that way they can at least find it faster. 
mm-hmm. but yeah, I like that idea of, of just putting it at the top, continuing on page, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, I think both work, honestly, they probably work better together, right? Having the, mm-hmm. having it said there to where if they're just flipping through or at the beginning with table of contents, but that way there's no pressure. Like kids, like right. once again, removing an artificial barrier, an artificial barrier is, mm-hmm. um, it's like sticker anxiety, right? It's like, you don't ever right. want to put a sticker anywhere because you, this is like the one place you do it. It doesn't matter. Just keep going. Keep it going. Chronology. Just put a note at the top. This continues later. Right. Or maybe it never continues later and you just keep going. So, um, it is what it is. So now I want to start merging this stuff into the next phase, um, of what this looks like in terms of publishing, how, and what this looks like in terms of remediation, reteaching, guiding your mini lessons and all of that. Cause this is really the magic in my opinion of craft and draft. Um, cause you can have the journals, you can do all of this, but if you miss this last piece, I feel like you're missing the secret sauce as to why this really works in the classroom. So let's say a student publishes. Keep all, all my gibberish here. I just did that for uh, quickness. I'll show you a student piece in just a second. So what I have my students do is when they're publishing, once they've gone through the process, they want to publish a piece. They type it up. Um, if your kids are younger and they don't type, they could write this out to you. But what they do is they put the title of the piece, their name, and then the pages of the draft book that they use. Okay. This is important because if you have students turning in a final draft of what they've written, and let's say, let's say it's, it's a piece that has some errors, right? It, it might not be the most polished piece, um, What you can do is you sit down with the student, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but you sit down with them, and you go, hey, can you open up your draft book? They open up the draft book, and you go and you look and see what was the revision like? How much revision did they do? Did you do a lot of conferences with them? Did they edit? Did they do any of that? So you could track it. So let's say their final piece is riddled with errors, but then you look at their journal, and it was even worse, right? It was just a hot mess from pages five to seven, right? Right. Now, rather than a teacher being like, oh my God, I'm a failure, my students, now you can go, oh my God, you really worked hard on this. So this is literally, like, this is your best work. So it, it changes how you approach assessment on student progress. It, mm-hmm. And you can get to have this conversation with them. You can show them the progress they made from page five to page seven to publishing, right? Sometimes it might be from page five to page 33. Um, And sometimes it's not, right? Go the other way. Sometimes it's page five to seven. It looks exactly the same and it's published exactly the same. Then you get to have a different conversation with the student, right? It's like, so we've talked about revision. We talked about this. Can you talk about the, the thinking you've had through this? And so you start showing them that rather than it being a mandate, right? You're not saying you do these things, you get a zero. Now, when you sit with them, you can have the conversations about, Hey, this is, these are your ideas. Do you care about what you're in? Okay. So you really, you really cared about what you wrote. Awesome. So why didn't you take the time to make it as polished as it needed to be? Right. It's a different conversation. It becomes about them owning their work. It becomes less about doing the work of school and more about what work do you need to put in to make this the best it can be by the time that you're going to publish. Um, this is what it looks like. This is one of my students. Um, this piece is, uh, possibly featured in the next book. You'll have to wait and see, but, um, this is an example of an actual student work. So she worked on this from page 37 to 39. Um, she did that. 
Uh, but you can kind of see how this works. Um, I want to jump to the f- uh, the f- the feedback piece to this, Miss Ochoa. But do you have anything okay. else you want to add to um, just the publishing and how this helps us connect between publishing and drafting? Uh, well, I just th- I I don't know. I, I think that. Uh, when it comes to drafting, that's usually by that time, that's where they take it out. And then, like you said, they type it. And then I usually keep a portfolio. So they'll put that in the portfolio mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll reflect going. on that and then we'll move on. So, uh, but yeah, the students will go back. And uh, I think, I think what I have found uh, kind of interesting is the students recognize how hard they work. Oh, Ms. Ochoa, mm-hmm. I had no idea I wrote this much, you know, cause I have them go back and look at all the different things that they do for the, you know, they have to mark all the different things that they used for that, that piece. And so by the time they do that, they, they've pretty much have now in the, in the older days when everything was a little bit looser, you know, and I had them in actual binders, you know, they would stack everything and they would come up with, I mean, like a stack that's like this big. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but now they just go through and like you said, they number the pages. I think it's real important that they go back, and they actually look at everything that went into that piece uh, because, first of all, it lets them know uh, how much work goes into it. And it really gives them a, a source of pride for themselves and a source yeah. of, of learning and, so, you know, satisfaction. Well, and uh, so this comes to this final piece. So when students publish um, kind of in this craft and draft workshop, and okay. this looks different between, you know, teacher to teacher uh requiredness to requiredness of what you're trying to do in your classroom. But what students do is once they publish, they get a form that looks like this. Now we have many different forms of this and this will probably, this is like our beta version. Um, Teachers have used this in our district. I've used it. It's changed over time from the original and it'll probably change by the time the craft and draft book gets published. But, um, this is the current state of the form. And I think it's really valuable because this is where student doesn't, we don't want to have all of this freedom in the craft book and how they interact with it in the draft book and in writing and in publishing and then remove that by assessment time. Okay. Right. And by, and by this. So what we want to force kind of the, uh, a conversation. So what happens is students will probably grab this. They can be digital or not, but they grab it and they answer these four questions and go, what are you most proud of in your piece? Um, what was your purpose for writing the piece? What mini lessons or model text did you use? Anything else you would like me to know about your piece? So they would write that here. And then at the bottom, they rank themselves on mini lesson model text usage, purpose for writing the piece, grammar and genre conventions and structures, and then evidence of the writing process, editing, revising, drafting, etc. They We do this one, two, three, four by below approaches meets masters because that's what they talk about in Texas. This can be whatever grading you want. Right. Um, but what they do is they rank themselves on this. So this is where it all merges together. Okay. So... At the top of what they publish, they show you their draft book pages. Here, they talk about the mini lessons that inspired them, the model text from the mini lessons that inspired them. So now, here's what happens. You're talking with your student. They have their craft and draft books and the piece they publish. They have this form. When you're talking about this, you can go, oh, really? Could you show me this? And so now you can track. If a student, let's say you were really working on figurative language, but the piece they turned in has no figurative language in it, okay? And you're like, okay, sweet. There's a problem here somewhere. So now Mm -hmm. you go, okay, so show me your draft book. And you're like, oh, 
Like you can see them kind of struggling with it there, but it's present. And then you go back to, so you can start going back and then you go, let's look at those mini lessons. You go back and look at their practice. Oh, they really weren't, they were struggling in their independent practice with figurative language. They, they were, they were calling metaphor similes. They really didn't list that many. They have things written there that aren't really figurative language. So now you can track like, Oh, this student was struggling from the lesson. So now this is what happens in workshop. It was like, well, I don't know why they can't do this. I don't know why students didn't capture this, but because of the way this is set up and because it's all tracked and numbered, you can go, it's breadcrumbs all the way back. And that way you can decide, did mm-hmm. the student not get it? Did the student not practice enough? Was the mini lesson bad, right? If you have 10 kids struggling, then you know that there's a, there's an issue uh, with how you taught it. And this can be one of the final things. All of those areas are checks. The independent practice is a check. The draft book is a check. The publishing is a check. And this is like the final one because we know you have 40 kids, 50 kids, 80 kids, 120 kids. You might not be able to be aware of where they're all at all the time. So this is just one more final piece to be able to track where everything is going through. Does that make sense? Yeah, and there's one more question I would probably that I add. Sure. Uh, to that, and that is, what are you? Pl- what do you plan on doing next? Or what? Uh, so it's like, like they're asking, what do you want me to know about the piece? I don't know if I've asked that one, but what I typically ask, I ask the the top three, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the fourth one, what I would ask a lot of times is, uh, what did you learn from your writing? on this piece. It's mm, a good one. And then the fifth one is what will you do different next time? So those are, that's where I vary a little bit, but everything else is, that's what I mean when I, so you, you had already noted, you'd already mentioned this. You already had this piece, but where I said, they go back and look at all of their places. Mm-hmm. So you already had that in mind. I like this form. I don't know if I really had mine more in a form. So I like your form. But I, I think that that's where my two questions are a little bit different. Um, the the I add another question, and that is, what will you do different? Yeah. And what did I, you learn? And I think that's the the beauty of of this is is kind of merging whatever you want your kid. And you know, it might change over time, right? If you have these questions at the beginning right. of the year, maybe what different questions later as your kids are more advanced or they're struggling with something. Um, but that's good. I, I will stress that on the bottom. So they'll do it by themselves first. And then on the right side, on that teacher side is where I sit with them. I don't take it and then fill out mine. I sit with them and I let them justify why they gave themselves a, a, a number. So if they give themselves a four, I'll let them talk about it. I'm like, I'm going to say, why, why do you think you have a four? And then a three or a two or a one. Um, what happens is a lot of students undergrade themselves. They give themselves like a two when really they should be a right. three or four. And so it becomes this conversation of supporting them, encouraging everything that they're doing. Um, and, and really just it changes the whole landscape of assessment and what that looks like at this stage. Um it, it changes so much uh, of the relationship between student doing this. And I also tell my students, if you wrote something that you want to publish and it didn't connect to many lessons and it didn't connect to what we were doing, you just wrote it because it inspired you. You can also defend your piece that way. It might not end up getting everything a four 
because the goal is to match everything. But writing isn't about getting a grade all the time. Sometimes you write for yourself. Sometimes you publish for yourself. You can publish nine things this six weeks and write one that is specifically tied to a mini lesson and get your perfect grade that you want, right? You can keep publishing until you get the hundred that you want, right? There's no limit here. It's not a final thing. The only limit is on your ability to connect to these things. And what's cool is kids start playing the system. Like, oh, sweet. I'll write three things that I love. And then I'll write one thing that really connects to this to show that. Or for your struggling writers, they'll be like, okay, so I know I have to do this. So this works as a scaffold to get them to get to Mm -hmm. where they need to be. So it's not this random thing. And you can pull this up all the time and sit with your, if you're have a kid that's really struggling about writing, but okay, so we know we need to use a mini lesson or a model text to get full points because we're trying to use these things and have that conversation with them. It's like, what's standing out to you? And then that guides, um, some, some struggling writers or thinkers in your classroom in a way that's not, um, you're not limiting anything. They're still all a part of the same system. It's just either an encourager for kids to, to play this system a little bit and give them some more freedom and really enjoy it or a scaffold for the kids that need that goal setting because workshop, um, it can be scary sometimes if you're a struggling reader or writer. Right. I don't know. This is, this is kind of the closing moment here. Do you have any final thoughts on craft and draft all the way through? This is the first time we've talked about it in this level of detail together for a while. We have, we've done this, uh, uh, together and in, in some presentations, but it's been a while since we've talked this much about craft and draft. Right. Right. Well, I, I just know that, uh, I've always been a, a proponent, uh, or a person who has used journals. There was one year or a notebook system and I used it in all my other subjects as well. And, um, uh, just a little anecdote, my dad, who was a teacher, but they had given him a world history course that he had to teach. And and uh, so I said, he goes, I don't know what to do. And I said, oh, dad, the, the kids can almost teach themselves. You just need a good notebook system. So he sat down. It's not like this one, but it was a left and right side notebook system uh, that, that they did. Uh, taken a little bit off of uh, social studies alive, you know, back then, but I, I always used a notebook system. And so dad, he still to this day raves about my notebook system. He'll tell everybody I couldn't teach, but Pam, she, she taught me how to do that. Just, this is notebook, whatever she tells you, you got to do the notebook. So I do know that the, there's been one or two years that either I thought, oh, I just, you know, I, it's not really that important. And those were the probably my worst years. So all I know is that by doing a notebook system and uh, this one here, I think seems to be the most thorough that we've done over the years. And I feel like I, I now can follow my, my students. Like you said, to me, that's the magic. That's where uh, I've abandoned notebooks along the way. I've picked them back up. I've had students not keep up with them. I've tried to keep them in my room. I've tried to, you know, that that also was an epic failure because uh, the reason I had to keep them in the room is because what I was doing was some kind of system that didn't matter to them. So I personally do not have the students. I, the students take these books with them. I don't keep them in my room, and they don't lose them. I might have one or two, and what I do when that happens is I just reach over and I grab 
always keep some notebooks on hand and I say, here's your notebook. And we just start where we left off. So I just think that my best teaching occurs with a notebook and the best learning that I have had happen in my room is from this craft and draft notebook system. Ladies and gentlemen, if this was useful to you, one, we've been going for quite a while. This is about an hour and 22 that might get cut oh. down a little bit. Um, but uh, if it, this, I mean, this is our love. This is what we do. If this is valuable to you, if you use it, consider donating to us. We didn't want to lock this behind anything in particular, but you can donate whatever you think you can um, over there at Craft and Draft on cash app if you need that link you can reach out to me and we'll make it happen but i want to remind you guys that this is going to live on the podcast forever so if you follow along with this and you think it's valuable that's awesome but if you want the presentation and it's already after august 31st and it's gone you can cash app us and we will get it to you it'll be about 20 bucks to where you can get this presentation after august 31st but we want to thank you you can also if you don't have any money to give you can also hit subscribe share this with all of your people hit the rating button on the podcast. The book is coming, but hopefully this would be some type of substitute for you guys. Inner, uh, uh, <laughs> she's feeling guilty because I've been right. I am. I've been so busy doing everything else, but you've been working too. You've been working on I some know. other things. I know it is, but it's coming. We promise. We promise. But yeah, we in have the mean, been working on it. In the meantime, hopefully this is useful to you. We're going to sign off and remember, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here. For you.